I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. Today, we are going to talk to you about six things that you might be doing that will prevent you from retiring early. Yeah, those fun things. Yeah. I mean, if I'm making a mistake, I want to know as soon as possible so that I can correct it. And that's really what today is about. So we'll yeah. we'll just jump right in. Uh, mistake number one, uh, saving all of your money into a 401k or IRA. Why would that prevent you from retiring early? Man, all your eggs are in one basket and you can't touch it before you're 59 and a half, 60 years old. So if you're looking at your life and you're thinking, hey, I want to retire by 55 or I want to retire even earlier than that, if all of your money is tied up in assets that are going to impose penalties because you are accessing them prior to 59 and a half, that makes it very, very difficult to actually retire before 59 and a half. So that one, I think, really speaks for itself. And this one actually came to my attention because I was sitting with a client who had done a great job saving. They had probably two, two and a half million dollars in their 401k at yeah. 50. Um, and they had been like part of this great deferred compensation program, but every bit of their assets would impose penalties if they retired before 59 and a half. So when they told me I want to retire at 55, I was like, halt, we have to completely change your strategy at this yeah. point or you're going to be taking penalties for a good four and a half years of your retirement, which is never a great idea. And there's a really cool trick called a 72T that's kind of like this little loophole in that system, but it's very, very narrow and it doesn't solve as many problems as people think it does. And so, it's and it's fairly restrictive. Once you start that income, you don't get to turn it off for a, a certain amount of time. Yeah. And they get to tell you how much of it you get. It's this actuarial tables science and it's, it's a cool trick and you're in a pinch, but it's not very powerful. It's not what you want as your default plan. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Right. Give us Second, number two, Eric. Yeah. Number two is really kind of something we touched on last week. And it's really focusing all of your attention on rate of return and not bothering to build out a distribution system. And, and this is something that we've harp on all day long, every day, because it is like what we eat, sleep, breathe every day. <laughs> But it's this idea of having a one one size strategy fits all, and it's all about rate of return, all about big buckets of cash, and having no system in place to maximize the distribution of that income. It's the only focus is I just want big wads of cash. Well, and I think that's a key point that you're talking about there, because if you are trying to retire earlier than most people or that yeah. than most advisors would sometimes recommend, I think what you have to recognize is that you can't do what everyone else is doing. You have to look at things differently. And that focus on income creation is key because you have to be much more efficient with the dollars that yeah. you have um, in order to get where you're trying to go in a shorter period of time. Well, and you, you've introduced a second problem that a lot of people that are retiring at, let's say, 65, so in that story 10 years later, don't have is life expectancy. So right. not only do you have to be more efficient because you've got to get more money in there sooner, but you've got to be much more careful about distribution because you could be in retirement for 40 years. Easily. Yeah. yeah. You retire, I mean, 40 years from retirement, if you retire at 55, would be, what, 95 yeah. So it's a, a high likelihood that those assets need to last for, uh, I mean, and in, in that instance, that's longer than you actually spent working, right? Yeah. If you started working at 
at 20 and you go to 55, you worked for 30 years and your assets need to provide income for at least another 30, if not 40. That's a really long time. And so yeah. that focus on distribution, I think is almost more important in an early retirement strategy. Yeah. Cause there's, you don't usually run out of money at 66 when you could go back to work, maybe, right? You run out of money when your ability to go back into the workforce might not actually be a possibility. Exactly. So that efficiency is key and the focus on the distribution rates as well as accumulation. So let's talk about uh, number three. One of the things that I see people doing incorrectly, especially when they are trying to retire in a very short time period, is they take on too much leverage. And, And what I mean by leverage is debt. So they'll borrow money so that they can go and make an investment. So real estate would be an example of a leveraged asset. You come up with the down payment, but then you use the bank's money to acquire the property. And in that situation, I've seen sometimes that people over leverage and put themselves into dangerous positions because they have cash flow requirements that they are hoping will be covered by the profitability of whatever investment that they're making. But if there's a hiccup and I'm just going to keep it to real estate, maybe a renter is not there and you have heavy repairs. If you don't have enough strategic capital on the side and you are over leveraged and you cannot handle the requirement for the cash flow out of your basic income that's coming in, then you have the ability to destroy everything that you're trying to create. And you see, actually, there are some financial entertainers out there who went through bankruptcies because they over leveraged. And so they become completely anti-debt in all situations, which I think is just the other extreme. But If you aren't prudent with the amount of leverage that you're using to build your assets, you could be in a position where you're unable to retire because you've got too much leverage going on. Yeah. And and I'm a huge, and I'm a huge fan of using other people's money, a little OPM from uh, Robert Kiyosaki days. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in order to go use other people's money, you got to make sure that strategic reserve is built up. And I think that you mentioned that earlier. And I think that was key. Right. And I think, you know, just as a rule of thumb, that strategic reserve, uh, a lot of people will say six months. Uh, I personally feel like when I'm looking at my own assets, that strategic reserve is about a year of expenses. And that doesn't just mean for my lifestyle, that means to carry all of the cash flow requirements or any real estate or any of the other things, the, the business cash flow, the whole thing. And then you just have to be strategic about where you're holding it so that you don't have huge opportunity cost. Meaning if I just stick it in a checking account where it's not earning anything, um, then I have the loss of growth on all of those assets. So that would almost be the other extreme of, of if you're not over leveraging, the other extreme would be having too much cash sitting around inefficiently, not really doing anything for you. Yeah. None of your workers are, are working. Right. Um, number, I think this is number four. Really, I think one of the big things that we see for people that are retiring early or that got started late is this phenomenon of what we would call chasing returns. That, that idea of, man, I'm behind, we need to get caught up, we need to get out early, Papa needs a brand new pair of shoes, we got to go to Vegas, we need to take all the risk, all the risk, right. And, and it's funny, because if you look at sort of societally, how we've grown up over the year, and the stories that we tell ourselves, and the stories that, that we pull from from the past, and, and I'll use a quick, easy one, but you'll, we see it all throughout. Revolutionary War, we were losing, we were getting our rear ends handed to us 
for a long time until like the very, 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 very end before we won that war. And if you look at so many stories in our culture, that this theme of we were getting beaten, we were getting beaten, and then we pulled a rabbit out of the hat and we won. At the last minute. At the very last minute. And I think that that cultural bias or that cultural sort of history comes through a lot of times in investing is... I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to pull it out in the end, even though it looks like at halftime and at the end of third quarter, we're we're getting our rear ends handed to, handed to us. But we don't we don't see that. We just go, you know what? I don't know how it's going to work out, but it will, and it's going to be amazing. And we forget to build that what we've talked about a lot that core and explore that. I know I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to take strategic bets, strategic right. big wins, smart risk, smart risk, right? Because you maybe you do win. But you don't want all of the all your eggs in that basket because you start when everything is on the line and it has to work, you you start making really dumb choices. You, you make emotional decisions, decisions sometimes instead right. of logical ones. And right. I think you brought up a really good point, Eric. Um, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you did it inadvertently or if you intended to, but I think when we say these are things that prevent you from retiring early. Um, automatically we go to this mindset of I'm young, I'm getting started. I want to retire by 55, but some of these things are actually applicable. If you're like 45 or 50 or 55 and thinking I've got a short horizon and I'm behind the curve because in both of those scenarios, you're looking at a truncated savings period. And so whether or not it's retiring early or just like, Hey, I haven't done anything. And now I'm in this catch-up mode. It's kind of the same thing in some ways. And so I, I think the way you said that was really important because if you have waited and you have that short time period, then you're in that, Oh my, gosh, I have to make up for it. And that's where, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people be like, well, I got to do this other thing because I'm hoping for a big giant rate of return. That's going to do this as opposed to being smarter about what they're doing and introducing the efficiency piece of it. And that's where I think even we're trained kind of by the the more conventional approach to financial strategy, which is take a bunch of risk when you're young and then take less risk when you're older. And that's always really struck me poorly because I think about when I was younger and I saved up $10,000. Well, if I put all of that $10,000 at risk and I lost it, then I'm back at zero. That's incredibly demoralizing. I have nothing to work with moving forward. But if I think about the same situation, you fast forward, you're older, you have a million dollars saved up. Now, if you lose $10,000, it doesn't feel good, but you haven't destroyed everything that you're trying to build and you're not starting back over from scratch. And so your comment about core and explore, which I think is phenomenal. I mean, I use those terms all the time. I totally stole them from you, but, um, this idea that you have this underlying path that says, okay, here is where we are, everything is taken care of. And then you make a calculated decision to take risk. Well, if that risk doesn't pan out, it doesn't affect your core plan because the core plan is separate from that exploratory investment. But if it does pan out, then you get to take that money off the table Re, re rebuild your core plan, kind of level up, if you will, and yeah. then continue taking strategic risk. So I, I well, think that is 
uh, like in terms of things that I learned from you, that is one of the things that I go back to over and over and over again with our clients. And then also in my own life, just being like, okay, how much of this am I actually willing to lose? And um, I got to have such a great conversation with a woman yesterday who was considering an investment that was a very large investment given the size of her net worth. And, um, we had the conversation about core and explore. And ultimately she said, you know what? I have some reservations about this particular investment. And I think I'm doing it because I do feel like I'm behind the eight ball and I need to catch up. And she said, but my gut is telling me maybe this isn't the one. And my comment was there are always deals, always in every situation. So if you pass on one, you always have another opportunity to do that, but be strategic. And if there is any hesitation or just something that isn't sitting right with you, I'm a big believer that sometimes our subconscious knows stuff that our conscious brain doesn't <laughs> doesn't right. want to process or admit. It's there to keep us alive. And you mentioned something else that I thought was really important from a psychological standpoint. Half of running and winning this game is not getting knocked out of the game. Like right. If you've got 10 grand and you lose it all, there's a huge emotional deficit you've got to overcome of, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not meant to do this. It I lost win. everything. I lost everything. It doesn't win for people. I don't win. People like me don't win. Like there's mm -hmm. so many emotional hurdles like that don't have to be there. You just got to be slightly more strategic. So. Right. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. So the next one is focusing on net worth instead of income. So this one is a little bit similar to what you talked about earlier about, you know, focusing on rate of return and ignoring distribution. But I think what's really different about this is that when we're looking at our balance sheet and we're trying to grow the balance sheet numbers, we get myopically focused on that piece of paper and we aren't necessarily thinking about how that's going to translate into lifestyle. And there's an example that we've talked about a couple of times, I think, over, over the past year, but the real estate investor who bought a bunch of vacant lots and the lots were worth $10 million, but they aren't producing any cash flow. And so if he's ready to retire, his assets look really great. But now there's a sort of scramble to figure out the income piece of it. And, and doing that can put you into a situation where you might be ready to retire, but the market may not be in the right place for you to liquidate. I yep. mean, you think about just the change in the interest rate environment right now. I, I don't think you're getting top dollar for you know a vacant commercial lot right now if it's worth much because if somebody's having to finance that and not paying cash for it then um you know the cost of that interest makes that a lot less sexy than it would be in a different interest rate environment and so i think that that focus on net worth can make you feel really good when you're in the accumulation side of things but then when you're ready to pull the trigger and retire it may actually prevent you from doing so because you don't want to take losses and so you will push yourself to keep working until the market has a recovery and those circumstances are completely outside of your control yeah and it goes back to something we talked about i think last week, all of these run together, but I think it was last week, but that idea of you had the right strategy, but the tools were wrong. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, we talk a little bit about this idea that tools are important, but tools are only important after mindset and strategy. But I, like I was thinking about that client, you know, the strategy was brilliant. Strategy was absolutely brilliant. It was just the curation of those sp specific lots and the, and the, 
the specific tools that were going on that were just a little off and it is creating drag for him, which right. was sad. Right. Right. All right. What do we got for number six? Yeah. Last one. I think this is sort of like a no brainer, but until you see it, it's sometimes not a <laughs> no brainer, but um, I think starting too late, I think waiting to get started until you think you have enough to start doing things mm-hmm. makes such a big difference. Um, just the amount of time, like just time on your side. If we're thinking about that, that client that started working at 20, they want to get out at 55, but they've got a 40 to 45 year horizon. Like mm-hmm. you, you need every dollar working for you as long as you possibly can. And we've seen so many clients that like they got kids coming in, they've got daycare, they've got lots of baby ducks nibbling at their feet. And like, mm-hmm. we're going to get to savings in next month, six months, a year, we're going to go start doing it. And mm-hmm. it, and it drifts out and you wake up and five years is gone and you wake up and 10 years is gone and you're you're in that scramble mode trying to get caught up. And even little bits of savings early on, as fast as you can get started, even if it's not heroic, even if it's not, we're saving 30% of our income because we're amazing. It's like, nope, just get started. And that's where I always have a hard time with sort of the, um, I'm going to call it the Dave Ramsey model of pay off all of your house pay off all of your cars, pay off all of your student loans before you start saving is you, you just lost a lot of time. Well, and the thing about the compound growth curve is that um, the best part of the growth isn't at the beginning of the curve. It's on the back end of the compound growth curve. So the sooner you get the money in there, the more of that back end hockey stick you actually get to take advantage of. And I think that um, it's easy to think, well, it'll be easier for me to save when I have more money. But I think there's a couple of things wrong with that as a mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh And and I I think about this. So I had a client who was a banker um, and this was a client earlier in my career and he was in his like mid late twenties and he had a, he had a nice solid income uh, and it was back, you know, when real estate was cheaper and rent was cheaper and inflation hadn't gone crazy yet. And, um, and I told him, you know, you need to be saving 15 to 20% of what you're making. And he said, well, I'm just not really making a lot, but you know, as my career advances, I'm going to be making more, it'll be easier to save then. And I said, well, I mean, you're like a single guy aside from paying for dates and that sort of thing. Like what, what expenses do you have? Because at this point I had progressed a little further, was married with kids. And I was like, I'm just going to tell you, your expenses don't go down when you start having kids. And if you're going to get married and you're going to have kids, like all those things get more expensive because now you have diapers, now you have daycare, now you have, Mm -hmm. you have all those things. And so you know, I kept trying to convince him, no, you need to start saving now. And um, and it was interesting because about 10 years later, you know, here he is making more money, has a wife and kids and, um, and his wife ended up quitting her job so she could stay at home with the kids. So they lost her income as well. And they were able to absorb that and do the things they wanted. But had they been saving her income the whole time, they'd have been in a completely different financial position. And so I think it's really easy to think, oh, future Mary will deal with this problem or future Eric will deal with this problem, but you're not necessarily, I mean, you're not setting yourself up for success. I always think, what would future Mary be grateful for? And it's that current Mary did the hard work so that future Mary doesn't have to, because you, I mean, you don't know how you're going to feel in the future. And this is the thing that I've seen being in this business for as long as I have is that you watch people grow up. 
and what you think is a priority. I mean, I remember being like completely like rose colored glasses. I'm going to work forever. I'm always going to feel as energetic as I do in my twenties and so connected to my passion. And you get older and you get tired. You know, I mean, you can still be connected, but you're tired in a different way. And so it's hard to, you know, if you're pushing all that off until you get older, you're missing out A, on the compound growth and B, on the best energy that you have to actually be doing these things. And I thought I was busy in my 20s. I'm just going to tell you, once you start having kids and each kid is playing four different sports and they're also in orchestra and playing, taking guitar lessons and uh, what you thought was busy before it's, it's just not like, I think not about that. Busy. Like I had so much free time. I could take a nap on the weekend. <laughs> well, and that's, it's the tyranny of the thousand baby ducks all nibbling at your feet and the baby right. ducks start having more ducks. And it's like, how did I ever, how did I ever function? Like you just, <laughs> what was I like, thinking? Yeah. I can't, I can't wait until I have downtime again. What's that like? Yeah. People are like, oh, you're going to plan this fancy vacation. I'm like, no, I want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. <laughs> and take a nap. Yeah, that sounds great. I and finish a cup stuff. of coffee before it gets cold. Uh -huh. That's my mission. Exactly. <laughs> wow, we ended that on a total Debbie Downer. Yeah, note. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I love you, kids. Well, here's the thing. It, hopefully, you're at least getting some value out of those six things, and maybe it results in a behavior change that changes your trajectory um, and changes the reality of your situation. So that if you even thought, "Oh, retiring early is not a possibility," maybe it sparks some ideas about how you could do that if that's important to you. Eric, yeah. if they're looking for you, where can they find you? You can find me at Economics with Eric, wherever you social media. How about you? You can find me at The Wealth Woman. We'll see you next time. Bye.